0: Introduction Welcome to the Abarta Audio Guide to Kilmallock. This guide has been produced in conjunction with the Kilmallock Tourism Group, Kilmallock Historical Society and Limerick City and County Council. The guide was supported by Ballyhawra Development Limited under the Rural Development Programme and KBC Bank. Our historical walk around Kilmallock was will bring you through centuries of Kilmalloch's history, from the foundation of the monastery in around 600 AD by Saint Mughialog, to its development by the Bishop of Limerick and through the medieval period when Kilmalloch was the seat of the Earls of Desmond and one of the principal towns in the province of Munster. Kilmallock was the centre of rebellions, conflict and conquest during the turbulent period of the late 1500s to the late 1600s and the town was raided, burned and pillaged on numerous occasions. Following the Cromwellian conquest, a new Protestant ascendancy class became dominant. Kilmallock went into decline from the 1700s onwards, and its magnificent buildings fell into ruin. Indeed, one commentator who visited Kilmallock in 1777 referred to the town as the Irish Baalbeck, a comparison to a magnificent Roman site in modern-day Lebanon. Poverty was widespread, and the newly opened workhouse was the scene of much hardship during the Great Famine of the 1840s. The town experienced a revival in the late 1800s, which led to the emergence of new industry, commerce and architecture. In addition, Kilmalloch was central to many events during the struggle for Irish independence, particularly during the Fenian Rising in 1867 and the Irish War of Independence from 1919 to 1921. Our tour will begin at the car park adjacent to King's Castle where you will have a fine view of Kilmallock's town walls. Our tour starts in the car park adjacent to Kilmallock's town walls. But first, a word on the early history of the town. Kilmaloc originated as a monastic settlement. Sometime around 600 AD, St Macialogue founded a monastery on Kilmallock Hill, one mile northwest of the current town. Indeed, the name Kilmaloc derives from the Irish Kil meaning, literally, Cialogue's Church. He was one of the many saints active during this period, but remains a mysterious figure. Judging from the ancient calendars and martyrologies of saints in which his name is mentioned, it appears he was a native of this area and a bishop. His feast day is celebrated on March 26th. Today, the barest outline of Kyalog's ruined church is visible on the hilltop. The grass-covered remnants of the walls stand at a height of about half a metre. The building appears typical of early Irish churches, with a simple rectangular shape and thick walls constructed of large stones. Kilmallock was referred to in ancient Annals in 927 AD, when a bloody battle took place between the men of Munster, who along with their allies, the Vikings of Limerick City, defeated the Danes of Waterford. Almost a century later, in 1015 A.D., the annals of Fallon tell of a raid on the monastery. There are no written references to the hilltop monastery after 1100, and it was relocated by that date to a new site in the valley beside the river, where the collegiate church stands today. It was probable that some settlement would have developed in the environs of the new site, The monastic church on Kilmallock Hill was still in use as a chapel until the 1400s, when it is referred to in Episcopal records. In the 12th century, there were a series of reforms of the Irish church to bring it in line with the European church. The Irish church was based on monasticism, whereas the European church was based on dioceses. Many synods, or meetings, to correct this and other differences, were held across Ireland. Gilbert, the first Bishop of Limerick, presided over the Synod of Rathbrassel in 1111 AD. The monastic lands of Kilmallock became the property of the Bishop of Limerick. It is likely that the Bishop developed the town here at Kilmalach as a source of revenue for the Church. A castle at Kilmallock that was referred to in historical documentation in 1206 may have been an Episcopal Manor, which is a bishop's residence and administrative centre. The arrival of the Normans in 1169 brought major changes to Ireland. In the Limerick region, however, the O'Brien dynasty of Thomond continued to rule until the death of Donal Moore O'Brien in 1194. Thereafter, the Normans gained control, initially of Limerick City, and then spread through the county. In 1199, King John of England granted land, including areas around Kilmallock, to Thomas Fitzmaurice, whose descendants became known as the Desmond Fitzgeralds. They became Kilmallock's dominant family in later centuries, and were granted the title Earl of Desmond in 1329. Kilmallock became one of the main towns in their vast estates, which included most of Munster. Another important Norman lord, Geoffrey de Morisco, played a key role in the growth of Kilmallock town. The Bishop of Limerick, who owned the lands at Kilmalloch, leased them to Geoffrey in 1199. In 1221, fairs were licensed. Throughout the medieval and early modern period, the town was granted a series of charters by the Crown, confirming the rights and duties of the citizens. Kilmalloch was governed by a sovereign and burgesses who were elected by the freemen of the town. A burgess was a town inhabitant or citizen of the town who had full citizenship rights. The town was laid out in a similar manner to other Norman towns with a long wide main street and short narrow side streets. Long strips of land known as burgages extended back from the main street and houses were built on each Burgage plot. A list of the Burgesses on each plot dating from the 1200s still survives. This shows that the inhabitants were predominantly of Norman stock with no native Irish living within the town. The most notable feature of this medieval phase of activity is Kilmallock's town walls which survive in an excellent state to this day. From the starting point of our tour you can view an extensive length of the original medieval town walls. They are amongst the best preserved in Ireland. The total perimeter of the wall, enclosing Kilmallock was 1.7 kilometres, or just over one mile, and the area enclosed was 13 hectares. Here, along the western side of the town, almost 600 metres of the wall remains standing. It is up to 5 metres in height, and between 1.2 and 1.5 metres wide. Construction of the walls started in the decades before 1300. Prior to then, the town was enclosed by a ditch and bank. Murage grants were a source of revenue which funded the construction of the walls. Further murage grants were made in the 1300s, 14, and 1500s for repair and maintenance of the walls. However, the town walls were frequently damaged as a result of war and conflict. In the 1650s, for instance, the walls were knocked by Cromwell's armies, but were later rebuilt by the citizens. Town walls had an important defensive function, but they also helped control access in and out of the town. This was particularly important for the fairs and markets, which were held regularly in Kilmallock, as it allowed taxes and levies to be collected. Kilmallock's location meant that it became an important hub of trade in medieval times. It was situated on the main route between the cities of Cork and Limerick and controlled a pass through the Ballyhaura mountains to the south. It also sat on an important east-west axis through Munster. Traders travelled from as far away as Cork to sell their wares. The Irish Parliament also sat in Kilmallock on a number of occasions during the 1300s and the town was regularly visited by members of the King's administration. From the town walls you can exit the car park, walk to the main street and the next stop on our journey, King's Castle. It is thought that King's Castle sits on the site of one of the town gates which was located here, before medieval Kilmalach expanded to the north along Shear Street. Archaeological excavations carried out in the area revealed evidence of a six metre wide ditch that extended westwards to the town wall at a right angle to what is now Shear Street, just north of King's Castle. This is probably evidence of the early defences surrounding the town dating to the late 1200s. The town gradually began to extend north beyond the castle from the 1300s onwards. The current building dates to the 15th century and occupies a prime position in the centre of the street. King's Castle is around 20 metres high, has four stories and is a fine example of an urban tower house also known as a Peel Tower. The building has impressive battlements known as stepped merlons, which are typically found on Irish tower houses of that date. The wider Gothic windows you can see are later insertions. The tower house has a base batter. This was an important defensive feature. A base batter was located at the base of the walls of tower houses and was angled in such a manner to make dropped stones bounce away from the wall into the enemy. It also strengthened the lower walls of the tower house, making it difficult to dig underneath them. This building had a number of functions over the centuries. It is likely that it was built as a wealthy merchant or local lord's residence that also doubled as a refuge for the family if the town came under attack. During the Confederate Wars of the 1640s, it was used by the Irish Catholic forces under Lord Castlehaven as an arsenal to store ammunition. When Kilmallock surrendered to Cromwell's parliamentary forces in 1650, they converted the building into a military hospital. It was also a meeting place for Kilmallock Corporation and in later years was used as a blacksmith's forge, a jail and a school. Today it is a prominent and striking reminder of Kilmalloch's medieval heritage. It is now owned by the state and is maintained by the Office of Public Works. Across the road from King's Castle you can see a Celtic cross which commemorates three local men who lost their lives in the Fenian uprising in 1867. You will hear more about the circumstances of their death later on our tour. From King's Castle, carefully cross the road and make your way down the short laneway to the east. Before you reach the footbridge, you will pass Kilmallock Museum on your left. The museum can be opened by request by inquiring at Friars Gate Theatre on Sarsfield Street. In the museum, you can view a scale model of the walled town as it was in 1597 and listen to audio commentary. You can also see other historical and archaeological exhibitions relating to the surrounding area. There is also a full-size copy of the famous Movani painting of the town as it looked in 1827. To continue with the tour, cross the footbridge over the River Luba to our next stop, the Dominican Priory. The Dominican Priory sits on the banks of the river Luba. This magnificent ruin is of national importance and is intimately associated with the story of Kilmalloc. The Dominican Order, officially the Order of Preachers, was founded by Saint Dominic in southern France in 1216. Unlike other monastic orders which lived enclosed lives, the Dominicans were formed to actively preach to local people. The order spread rapidly and they arrived in Ireland in 1224. Kilmallock's Dominican Priory of St. Saviour was founded in 1291. However, the establishment of the new monastery was beset by controversy. The Bishop of Limerick, who was the manorial lord of Kilmallock, objected to its establishment. He expelled the friars just six weeks after their arrival. The Dominicans appealed to the king and a subsequent inquiry ruled that they could remain in the town as the land belonged to James Blewett, a local Burgess. An influential figure in the foundation of the Priory was Gilbert Fitzgerald. The Fitzgerald family had emerged as the dominant influence in Kilmallock, and Gilbert's role in the foundation of the Priory is testament to this. His tomb lies in the sanctuary beside the high altar, A place reserved for the founders of monasteries. The Priory is a treasure trove of architectural wonders. Construction of the Priory Church was completed in 1318, but many other features were added in subsequent centuries. Coming in the west door, you enter the nave, the main body of the church, where the ordinary people sat during Mass. Today, the eye is immediately drawn to the five-light east window behind the altar in the area known as the chancel. However, when the church was in use, a large rood screen, which is a partition made of stone or wood, separated the nave from the chancel, so the congregation would never have seen the altar. The five-light window is amongst the finest of its kind in Ireland and must have pushed the boundaries of architectural expertise at this time. To the north of the church is the cloister, which has been partially restored, along with the ranges where the monks lived and worked. Overlooking everything is the crossing tower. This was inserted into the original building centuries after the Priory was constructed. Many members of the Fitzgerald dynasty are buried here in the Priory. This Norman family dominated southern Munster for two and a half centuries. The title of Earl of Desmond was first bestowed on Maurice FitzThomas Fitzgerald in 1329. The word Desmond derives from the Irish Jas or South Munster, and the earls controlled Limerick, North Kerry, North and East Cork, and West Waterford. The Earls of Desmond gradually became independent of English authority, and for all intents and purposes were sovereigns of southern Munster. Like many other Norman families, they intermarried with the native Irish and adopted Irish language and customs. This changed with the rise of the Tudor dynasty in England in the 15th century. The most immediate impact of the Tudor dynasty and the Reformation was that the Priory was suppressed by Henry VIII in 1541. Although the Dominicans retained a presence here for a further two centuries, the position of the monastery was never secure in the turbulent times that followed. The Priory was still home to a community of monks in 1645 during the Confederate Wars. Tragically, in 1648 it was attacked by the parliamentary forces of Lord Inchquin and two monks were put to death in front of the altar. Monks continued to live and work here until well into the 1700s often under the threat of religious persecution. It was taken into state ownership in the early 1900s and is maintained by the Office of Public Works. As you leave the Priory, look across the river to your left where another extensive stretch of the medieval town wall is visible surrounding the collegiate church. To your right, there is another long section of wall visible Leading to the northeast corner of the medieval town at the secondary school. Our next stop is the late 16th century stone mansion close to King's Castle. Retrace your steps over the footbridge back to Sarsfield Street and please stop in front of the stone mansion which is to the left of the car park entrance. A short distance south of King's Castle is the Stone Mansion, the best surviving example of the many stone residences which once lined this street. This beautiful cut stone building is all the more impressive considering it is nearly five centuries old. The hood mouldings above the windows and the arched doorways are visible indicators of its Tudor origins. It dates from the late 1500s, when Kilmallock was at the height of its economic and political power. The stone buildings reflected the wealth of the town during this period, as they were more expensive to build than the more widespread timber homes or cagework structures. The stone mansion extends back a considerable distance from the street and was in fact a three-storey building when it was constructed. Behind it, a plot of land extended all the way back to the town walls, and would have been used as a garden or to rear animals. The population of Kilmallock in 1600 has been estimated at perhaps almost 2,000 people. Compared with Dublin's population of approximately 5,000 and Limerick's population of about 3,000 people at the same time, this indicates Kilmallock's significance in a national context. When the town was sacked by James Fitzmaurice Fitzgerald in 1571 during the Desmond Rebellion, one account states that the attackers spent three days carrying away the spoils of their conquest, namely gold and silver goblets and ornaments, as well as jewels and other riches. The civil survey of the 1650s, undertaken nearly a century after Kilmalloch was in its prime, ...recorded six tower houses, 29 three-storey stone houses, and four two-storey stone houses along the main thoroughfares of the town. The entire streetscape must have been very imposing. Although many of these buildings fell into ruin in the 1700s, most remained standing until well into the 1800s... ...and they were documented, sketched and even photographed by numerous visitors to the town... The merchant class of Kilmallock were the backbone of the town, providing its ruling classes, employment and generating wealth. They had shops on the ground floor of the stone buildings and lived above these. Today, we can see from the fine fireplaces and windows of the stone mansions that the inhabitants were very wealthy indeed. As you walk along this street, other fragments of buildings from this period are evident. The Friars Gate Theatre is built between two gable ends of another stone house which was known as Sarsfield's House and which survived until 1930. It is likely that many other buildings along Sarsfield Street contain elements which have been assimilated into more modern facades and structures. Evidence of four more stone houses, one semi intact, have recently been found when works were carried out at supervalue. Kilmallock's prosperity undoubtedly owed much to its location and trade links. Walk along Sarsfield Street, keeping King's Castle behind you. The junction of Sarsfield Street and Ore Street on your left marks the spot where the medieval Market Cross stood for several centuries. This was the focal point of trade and market activity in the town. When you are ready, turn left here down Oar Street to our next stop. The Collegiate Church. The Collegiate Church of Saints Peter and Paul is yet another part of Kilmallock's outstanding medieval heritage. It is believed to be built on the site of the earlier pre Norman monastery following its relocation from Kilmallock Hill. The Round Tower provides the strongest evidence that there was a religious presence here before the Normans arrived. Although the upper part of the tower was rebuilt and dates from the same period as the standing church, examinations have concluded that the base and foundation of the tower predates the church and is of pre-Norman origin. This church ruin that we see today dates from the mid-1200s and was referred to as the Great Church of Kilmallock in documents from 1241 onward. It functioned as the parish church of the town for 700 years. It was served by a college of canons from the 13th century. The rectory belonged to the College of Vicars at the Cathedral of Limerick until after the Reformation around 1571. The building went through several phases of development and was altered and enlarged in the centuries after it was built. It contains many finely carved windows, arches and doorways throughout. The surrounding graveyard adjoins the town walls on the north and east and provides an opportunity for a closer inspection of this important feature of the town. The situation of the collegiate church provides a weather vane for the fortunes of the Catholic and Protestant religions in the 15 and 1600s the canons and the congregation generally alternated between the two faiths, depending on who was in power and who had prevailed in the many wars and conflicts of the time. In 1541, the canons accepted the terms of the Reformation, but returned to the Catholic faith in 1553, when Queen Mary ascended to the throne of England. The church became an Anglican place of worship once again in around 1600, but had reverted to Catholicism during the Confederate Wars of the 1640s. Following the Cromwellian Conquest, it returned to use as an Anglican Church which had become the established religion of Ireland. The choir, or chancel of the Church, continued in use as a Church of Ireland until 1935, when it was destroyed by fire. The church and graveyard contains both Catholic and Anglican burials from across the centuries. The most impressive of these are undoubtedly a number of elaborately carved tombs within the transept which date from the late 15 and early 1600s. The Fitzgerald, Verdon and Blakeney tombs are the most prominent. The macabre figure of death carved on the top of the Fitzgerald tomb, holding the fatal dart and gravedigger spade and with the shrouded corpse under his right foot, presents a grim reminder of our fate. The Verdon tomb commemorates Sir John Verdon, who died in 1614 and who was known as the Knight of the Golden Spur, and his wife, Dame Alonza Haley, who died in 1626. Sir John's spur features prominently on his carved effigy on the tomb. Outside, to the left of the door into the nave, is the grave of Andreas Macrae, known as Anmonger Suguch, or the Merry Peddler. He was a noted poet in the 1700s, at a time when the Maig School of Irish Language Poetry was at its peak in the area. Andreas lived something of a dissolute life and earned his living as a travelling school teacher. His fondness for drink may have inspired his work, but it also landed him in trouble. His most famous poem, Slán le Mói, Goodbye to the Maig, was written after he had been banished from Croom by the parish priest. He died in 1795 in a house on Wolftone Street, close to the bridge over the Luba, where there is a plaque to commemorate him. The house is unique as it is the only physical building associated with the School of Munster Poetry, the Meig Court of Poetry. When you are ready, please leave the Collegiate Church. As you exit at the gate, turn left and continue along Oar Street. You will come to a crossroads. To your left is a small street that leads to the bridge over the River Luba. If you wish, you can walk to the bridge, which was originally built in the medieval times. There was originally a gate tower here called Watergate. Next to the bridge is the poet's house in which the famous Munster poet Andreas Macrae died in 1795. To continue on our tour, cross the road. As you walk up the slight incline, you will be walking over the line of the original town wall. Turn right. Walk towards the main street. When you reach the main street, turn left and continue along the main street. When you reach the pedestrian lights, cross the road and make your way to the large grey building, which is now used as the local library and the city and county council area office. This was originally the site of the workhouse. Our next stop is the Courthouse, an impressive cutstone building which adjoins the newer Limerick City and County Council offices. The date 1841, carved above the door, gives an indication of its history. This was once the administrative building for Kilmallock's workhouse. The large workhouse, which housed thousands of people during the 19th century, occupied the site behind this building. The story of the workhouse revealed something of the poverty and tragedy of Ireland in the first half of the 1800s. Ireland's population grew rapidly in the late 17 and early 1800s, but the vast majority of people lived in near destitution. Most were small tenant farmers who grew potatoes on tiny plots of land or landless labourers who lived in mud cabins and relied on employment from wealthy farmers as a means of survival. Regular crop failures made life very harsh for these rural poor. A survey of Kilmallock in the 1820s estimated that almost one in three of the population were paupers. Poverty also contributed to increased agitation and violence. A secret agrarian society known as the White Boys originated in the Kilmallock area and they carried out nighttime actions to disrupt the lives of wealthy landowners. The Poor Relief Act of 1838 was the government's response to the situation of the poverty stricken masses. The act established a number of poor law unions across Ireland. Kilmallock Poor Law Union covered most of Southeast County Limerick. An elected board of guardians, consisting of local landowners, businessmen, and large farmers, was responsible for running its affairs. Local rates were collected to fund the construction of a workhouse and the cost of relief for the poor. Kilmallock's workhouse opened its doors in 1841. The government and the Board of Guardians wanted to discourage people from entering the workhouse, so conditions were made as frugal as possible, and families were separated upon entering. Entering the workhouse carried a strong stigma and families had to leave their homes and land to a veil of relief. When the Great Famine arrived in 1845, more and more people sought refuge and the situation in the workhouse quickly reached breaking point. By early 1847, there were over 1,200 inmates in a building designed for 800. Over half of these were children. The rations of food were inadequate and consisted of bread and gruel. The cramped conditions facilitated the spread of disease and fever, and many died within the walls of the building. The workhouse continued to serve Kilmallock into the late 1800s and was eventually converted into a general hospital. The Sisters of Mercy nuns took charge of the hospital in 1889 and remained there until it was taken over by British forces in 1920 during the War of Independence. During the Civil War, most of the building was burnt down by anti treaty soldiers on July 15, 1922. Only the administrative section, which is now the courthouse, remains standing. From the workhouse, you may choose to walk a short distance down Boher Road, which is located beside the courthouse, to visit the Famine Memorial Park. This was originally the burial ground for those who died in the workhouse, as well as other poor people from the Kilmallock area. It is believed that there may be up to 8,000 people interred here and it continued to be used for burials until the 1920s. In 1999, President Mary McAleese officially opened the Memorial Park and unveiled a monument to all those buried there. To continue our tour, please make your way back to the town centre ...and walk along Lord Edward Street. Stop opposite the Bank of Ireland. Lord Edward Street marks a more recent phase in the story of Kilmallock. After the famine, Kilmallock experienced better times in the second half of the 1800s. The current Bank of Ireland on this street occupies the site of what was once the Royal Irish Constabulary or police barracks. This was the location of military actions during the Irish struggle for independence. On March 6, 1867, during the Nationalist Fenian uprising, a party of local Fenians attacked the barracks. Their efforts to storm and capture the barracks failed and three men, Daniel Blake, Dr Michael Cleary and Patrick Hassett, were shot dead by police. Their names are commemorated on the Celtic cross near King's Castle. In the aftermath of the attack, many other Fenians from the locality were arrested, tried and sentenced to penal servitude, while others were forced into exile. More than 50 years later, the barracks was attacked once more during the War of Independence. On the night of May 28, 1920, A group of about 40 Irish Republican Army, or IRA, men laid siege to the building. After a fierce firefight, the encounter ended in a stalemate, with the IRA withdrawing due to lack of ammunition. Two RIC constables were killed in the attack, while the IRA lost Captain Liam Scully, who was commemorated in a plaque on the street. A plaque further along the street was erected in memory of another IRA volunteer, Michael Scanlon. He was a teacher in Kilmalloch and was arrested in October 1920. After he was taken to Limerick he tried to escape but was shot dead by British forces. A new and confident Catholic middle class emerged at the end of the 19th century and they left their mark on Kilmalloch. Walking up Lord Edward Street Several fine buildings from this era are visible on both sides of the road. Most of this street lay outside the town walls, and this explains why it developed later than the town centre. On the left, there is a long terrace of impressive three-storey buildings made from cut limestone with red brick window surrounds and chimneys. The first of these was constructed by William Henry O'Sullivan, a prominent businessman and political figure in Kilmallock in the 1870s. In 1871, he established a mineral water and lemonade factory here, which went on to become a significant employer in the town. In 1874, he was elected as a Nationalist MP and became a strident campaigner for the cause of Irish independence and the rights of tenant farmers. The post office alongside this building was added some years later, as were the other buildings which formed the remainder of the western side of the street. On the opposite side, the magnificent Allied Irish Bank building was completed in 1877. The beautiful cut stone design was based on the earlier Tudor stone houses of Kilmalloch and provides a modern connection with the past. At the corner of Lord Edward Street and Wolftone Street is Baalbeck House, another distinctive building from this period. At the top of Lord Edward Street turn left into Emmet Street to our next stop, Blossom Gate. Dominating Emmett Street on the road to Charleville is Blossom Gate, the only one of the five original town gates which survives to this day. The present gate dates from the 1500s Fortunately, it is in an excellent state of preservation and is a fine example of a late medieval gatehouse. Blossom Gate controlled access to the town from the west. It is a three-storey tower and the original narrow slit windows are still evident. The large Gothic window on the first floor is a later insertion and the arch at ground level was enlarged in the 19th century. At one side of the tower, projecting stones are visible. This marks where the gate would have been joined to the town walls. The original name of this gate was Blaput Gate, from the Irish blaw meaning flower and the French porte meaning gate. These words combined gave blaw porte, literally flower gate, and it is from this that the name blossom gate derives. It was also known as Pigeon Castle and Mallow Castle in times past. There were four other gates in the medieval town walls. John's Gate stood at the north of the town on what is now Shears Street, just beyond the present Roman Catholic Church. Friars Gate was the access point to and from the Dominican Priory. Watergate stood on present-day Wolftone Street near the banks of the River Luba, and Ivy Gate commanded the southern approach to the town. Its location is marked by a plaque on the AIB building. Although no traces of these gates remain, we know their locations and details from an early map of Kilmalloch, accounts of visitors to the town in the 1700s when the gates were still standing, and modern-day archaeological excavations. As well as the town gates, there were also four defensive towers at the four corners of the town walls. Nothing remains of these four structures above ground. However, recent archaeological excavations have exposed what may be the foundations of the tower at the southeast corner of the town walls. Blossom Gate serves as a reminder of the importance of Kilmalloch during the medieval period, when this walled town stood at the heart of Munster. It is ironic that Blossom Gate stands on the road to Charleville, as it was the foundation of Charleville in 1662 and the subsequent construction of a new road to Cork through Charleville that bypassed Kilmallock that heralded the end of Kilmallock's glory days. Our walking tour of Kilmallock has come to an end, but there are other sites in the town you may wish to visit, including the two contemporary churches. The Catholic Church of Saints Peter and Paul, located at the northern end of the town, is difficult to miss due to its tall steeple. It was built in the neo-Gothic style and was designed by J. J. McCarthy, who was noted for many Irish churches from this period. Construction began in 1879 and was completed ten years later. The stained glass windows within the church are distinctive, indeed. The two largest are modelled on the east and south windows of the Dominican Priory. The Priory and the Collegiate Church also feature in the detail of two windows, while other stained glass windows are dedicated to Saint Macialogue and other local saints, Ita and Munchen. A sombre site is located just behind the church grounds. Originally an earthen bastion, which was added to the town defences in the 16th and 17th centuries to counteract the introduction of cannon, the site became the place of execution and still carries the Irish name Cruchta, the hanging place. It was here, in 1579, that Bishop Patrick O'Healy and Father Conor Rourke were tortured and executed by the English garrison during the Desmond Rebellion. A monument commemorating the two men and a third martyr, Father McEnrity, has been erected at the site. Father McEnrity was a native of Kilmallock and was imprisoned in Clonmel in 1583 and executed in 1586. The Church of Ireland is located on the outskirts of the town to the east in the townland of Debert and was built in 1938. In an unfortunate incident in 1935, the previous Church of Ireland, which was situated in the Collegiate Church, was burned down in a hot-headed and mindless response to sectarian tensions in Northern Ireland. This church is unusual in that it is constructed entirely of brick and was designed by F.G. Hicks. We hope you have enjoyed this audio guide which was produced by Abarta Audio Guides with assistance from Kilmallock Tourism Group, Kilmallock Historical Society, Limerick City and County Council and in particular Executive Archaeologist Sarah McCutcheon. The guide was supported by Ballyhara Development Limited under the Rural Development Programme and KBC Bank. As we say in Irish... Gunayri Ambohar Lat. May the road rise to meet you.